This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Let's get up to speed today on the government crackdown on churches in the name of so-called health. We've got the pastor of an independent Baptist church in Massachusetts now facing a $300 fine for having 10 or more people in his church for a second time, even though the church is socially distancing and wearing masks and dispensing hand sanitizer. Doesn't matter. Governor Charlie Baker says the church has to operate under his supervision. Then, of course, as I told you yesterday, the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, put into place that egregious policy requiring non-essential businesses, which include churches, to keep records of anyone who comes into a church service and stays longer than 10 minutes, meaning those visitors have to agree to hand over their names and contact information, or the church is required to boot the sinner out of the sanctuary, because it's all about necessary contact tracing folks, even though grocery stores and medical facilities are exempt from having to collect data on their visitors and hand it over to the government. But if the churches run afoul of this totalitarianism, they face fines and civil penalties. And I have been asking what actual scientific data on coronavirus justifies any of these insane situations where we see the state cracking down gleefully on the church while allowing exemptions for other types of businesses or on Americans in general, not just the church. Just look at the beach protests in California or the state of Oregon, for example, threatening to take children out of homes if the parents have COVID-19. So the bigger question that we need to ask is this. Whatever happened to the land of the free? And are we still willing to fight for our freedoms? As my next guest puts it, the greatest challenge the American experiment faces in this dark hour is not our need for safety, but our loss of liberty. Well put. And so we're going to talk about this now with Dr. Everett Piper, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, best-selling author of Not a Daycare and columnist over at The Washington Times. So great to have you here, Dr. Piper. How are you? I'm doing great, Janet. Thanks again for having me on. Always great to have you. You have just been knocking it out of the park in your columns over at the Washington Times. What is your reaction in general to watching all of these attacks on our liberty? Uh, we need to ask ourselves who we are as a people. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about first things. John Richard Newhouse actually started the periodical, the magazine, First Things. What is our summum bonum to go back to freshman-level philosophy. The summum bonum is your first thing, the thing you hold dear, your priority as a human being. Does freedom define what it means to be human? Or are we willing to sell our freedom for the sake of safety? And this is really, I think, the critical debate, the discussion that's going on. Do we want to be a safe people, or do we want to be a free People. What is our first thing? You know, Michael Ramsden of Ravi Zacharias's Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics describes it this way. He says that one of the greatest threats to human dignity in the 21st century is artificial intelligence. And then he says, how so? And then he uses this analogy. Let's assume that we invented AI robots and we programmed them to take care of human beings to keep us safe. That's their 
first thing, their primary objective is to keep us safe. Let's assume that these robots quickly figure out that the way to keep us safe is to put us all in 10-by-10-foot cubicles underground, free from disease, free from disaster, artificial lighting, and feed us interveningly and keep us alive for 85 years. Hmm. That would make us a safe people, but we wouldn't be free. Is that what we want as human beings? Now, strangely enough, we could get really close to that in the way the government is reacting right now. They're taking away our freedom because we're demanding to be safe. We need to ask ourselves, who do we want to be as a people? Well, I agree with you. That's a really good analogy. Here's the thing. Here's where I've come down on this whole thing. When this really started out and they started talking about this novel coronavirus that was over here in the United States, it came out of a lab in Wuhan. We don't know much about it. We know it's highly contagious. We know that people have died of it. We need to you know, use wise and prudent measures in order to keep people safe. We want to slow the spread. We don't want hospitals to be overwhelmed. And so when this all started, started, I said, I I think it is wise to voluntarily keep things kind of locked down for a little bit. And that was where it started. But it quickly, I mean, went downhill from there. It didn't take very long for us to see, first of all, the models were wrong. The estimated number of deaths were wrong. The estimated number of cases were wrong. And we started seeing some of these mayors and governors get completely out of control. I gave some of the instances at the outside of the show. Where was that line for you? What was your line right at the beginning? No, we shouldn't do lockdowns. Was it well, we could do this voluntarily for a little while, or where did the tipping point come for you? Well, for me, it was early on, and I, again, I'm still not. I'm not a. I'm not a COVID denier. Right. I agree. There is a disease. I'm not denying that. Right. And I'm also not going to be arrogant and walk into your house and impose my freedom on you. If you want, if if you invite me out for a picnic and you want me to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. Yeah. If if eating meat offends my brother, then I won't eat meat. Well, if not wearing a mask offends my sister, then I'll wear a mask. I mean, that is my Christian responsibility to show deference to somebody who has some fears and anxieties. However, that's very different than the government demanding, forcing me, and then threatening to find me if I don't comply with their dress code. Yeah. That's asinine. So the minute the government started to suggest that was the minute I was raising my hand and saying, wait a second. We're selling our freedom for the sake of safety, and this is not who the American people are. Now, another thing that just has my dander up is the pastors. I am so tired of pastors shaming Christians who are raising their hands and fighting for freedom. I don't want a pastor telling me that somehow I'm being unchristian for standing for human dignity and human freedom. Because if I am, then Moses was wrong, and Gideon was wrong. And Jephthah was wrong, and Deborah was wrong, and frankly, so was Paul, and so was Peter, who told us to honor the government, but yet spent a lot of time in jail because they were willing to defy the government. Yes, I think the exegesis of claiming that somehow we're obligated to bow at the altar of government every time they say so is terrible exegesis. Oh, well said. I agree with you completely on that. And especially on the point that, yes, I'm willing to, I I don't want to put anybody at risk either. We're right on the same, on the same page on that whole thing. You know, it was interesting to me. One of the things I was reflecting on when you cited some of the characters in history who certainly did not put their personal safety above the gospel, I was thinking about, I just recently learned that I'm actually a descendant of somebody on the Mayflower. It goes 
all the way back to the Mayflower and even before that. And I found the man's name and I said, if it were not for the willingness of those Christians on the Mayflower to face almost a certain death, if you think about it, how risky that was to get on that boat and come over, you know, to face an uncertain future. His parents ended up dying. And I thought if it weren't for that kind of um, willingness to risk safety in order to fight for liberty, I wouldn't be here. And I thought, are the Christians of today prepared to do something like this if the circumstances were the same? I'm not convinced we really would be the same as they were. Well, I'm not convinced at all because of all these evangelical pastors that are trying to shame you and shame me and shame others into silence because we dare to say, wait a second, I'm not going to bow to government. I'm going to demand my freedom. Oh, you're you're killing grandma. You don't care about (laughs) grandma because you are saying those things. Shame on them. You know, we have fought wars for freedom. We fought, the, we fought the Revolutionary War. The Revolutionary War was, felt, was fought for freedom, excuse me. Uh, the Civil War, for freedom. Yep. World War One and World War Two for freedom. We have given thousands of lives for freedom. Not for safety, but for freedom. Again, what is our first thing? The American people have a statue of liberty, not a statue of safety. <laughs> we believe in being a free people. Exactly. And that, you know, and the the real kicker of the whole thing is even the science that they're using is their excuse. Some of these pastors for not standing up for their freedom. The science is all over the map. We're seeing now the, the results of what's happened in Sweden, where they haven't locked down. And basically the small death rates are about the same on target as they are in Norway, where they did shut down. So, you know, absent any sort of sound scientific data that we can actually take to the bank, how in the world can you make an argument as a Christian? Well, you're being a bad Christian, Dr. Piper, if you don't completely lock down your church. There's just a lot to talk about on this subject, and we're going to do some more of it when we come back from this break. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. We'll be back with Dr. Everett Piper. Stay with us. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 thousand dollars to clinics if this goal is reached and you can help call 855-402-BABY that's 855-402-2229 one ultrasound is just 28 dollars, but this challenge will double your efforts to donate just call 855-402-BABY that's 855-402-2229 all gifts are tax deductible that's 855-402-2229 or there's a preborn banner to click at janetmefford.com are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us. And it's great to have with us Dr. Everett Piper, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University and columnist over at the Washington Times, also best-selling author of Not a Daycare. And he has been really great in making an important point, really a key point, that while governors across the nation fall all over themselves to break their oath of office, the church remains quiet. And the biggest threat to the U.S. today is not a virus, but rather virus shaming really the loss of liberty and the loss of freedom is a much bigger disease than the loss of safety. And I really like the way you put it, Dr. Piper. We, we have a statue of liberty, not a statue of safety. But what does this say about the American mindset? Because, you know, when you have all the Karens, as they like to say, you know, snitching on their neighbors because somebody dared to take a dog walk without a mask on and these sorts of things, what has gone wrong with us as a people that we don't get on the Karens for being snitches rather than, you know, reacting the way that we ought to in defense of our own liberty. You know, it's a, it, that's a hour-long conversation in itself, because um, I would argue, and some might disagree with me on this, I would argue it's because we're too comfortable. We haven't suffered crisis. We, we enjoy our lattes. We enjoy our trip to the coffee shop. We enjoy a lot of comfort in the United States. And at least the current generation... Uh, the, maybe the last two generations, the millennials and the Gen Zers, have never really faced any crisis. Yeah. And we know that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. We know that through adversity, we become stronger. We know that we're tested, that when the metal is tested, it is refined by fire. This is, these are biblical truths. There are lots of proverbs and scriptures that actually support this whole concept that the Lord disciplines those he loves. So it's the paradox of discipline and freedom. And when there is no crisis, i.e. discipline in one's life, often we don't experience the maximum amount of freedom that we would enjoy otherwise. So you could argue that because we're too fat and sassy as a culture, that we're not prepared to handle adversity. Maybe this is one of the tests that will wake us up. I agree with you. It, you know, and to me, it was very heartening to see those thousands of people turn up in California to protest the beach closings. And I know this will resonate with you. I was pointing out to people over the weekend, it's Governor Gavin Newsom in California who committed an act of civil disobedience by allowing same-sex marriages in 2004. He did that on purpose to bring that whole issue to the forefront. He's fine with civil disobedience as long as he's doing it. But when freedom-loving Americans do it, oh, no, we have to clamp down on them. I'm do, do people not see what is going on before their very eyes? Well, I, I hope so. It's not here's, You read one of my stories. It's not just Newsom in California, which you might expect because of his politics, but here in Oklahoma, the reddest of red states where we haven't had one county vote blue in four successive presidential elections, we have a mayor of small-town Oklahoma, a town called Vanita. The, the mayor's name is Chuck Hoskin where he has issued a municipal order where you can't even get in your pickup truck alone 
and go fishing. <laughs> you can't get in your pickup truck and drive out to the local woods and go hunting. You can't go jogging after 10 o'clock at night in Vanita, Oklahoma, without getting fined $500 and up to 30 day, days in jail. I mean, this guy deserves the, the Huxley Award of the Week yeah. for government overreach and arrogance. This is going on across the country, even in Oklahoma. Well, yeah, that was a really disturbing article that you had there about that mayor, because he's just one of many. I mean, you look, there was a tattoo artist who was arrested just recently. You had the mom in the park who's arrested because she's showing up with her kids and this sort of stuff. And, you know, you look at this, for example, that we have all these cases going on right now with the 10 person restriction on church services, for example. I want to know what is the magic scientific data that says if you socially distance yourself and wear a mask, you can have a gathering of 10 people. But if you add an 11th person, all of a sudden death is imminent. I mean, what is the data on this that 10 is safe, but 11 is incredibly dangerous? Well, and this is the lie of the left. They keep telling us that they are the ones who believe in science and that you, as a conservative Christian, are a science denier. Well, frankly, we know that's not true in a variety of ways, because you actually believe that a male and a female are biological facts. Right. You believe that we could challenge and question some of the global warming nonsense because science seems to contradict the data. And they're proving that they are the science deniers again, because they have no data to support the analogy that you just used. How is it a scientific fact that I can go to the drive through window at McDonald's and get a burger from a 17-year-old who doesn't know deeply about hygiene and how to socially distance herself from my hamburger. How can I buy a hamburger from her from the drive through window, but I can't read my Bible at a drive through service? There's no scientific evidence to support the bias against the church. I agree with you there. And why I'm still kind of caught up on why is Starbucks drive through an essential service? I mean, I know some people think it is, but how is, you know, you can say groceries are essential. How can you say your your $5 latte is an essential? I mean, this just kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about our softness. And here's another example of this, Dr. Piper. We had a story on CNN that they did some testing of employees at this meat processing plant in Buchanan County, Missouri, Triumph Foods. 373 employees and contract workers tested positive for coronavirus. Now you hear that and you go, oh no, oh, this is terrible. No wonder all the these meat plants are shutting down. Then you read every single one of these people were asymptomatic. Now, does that not make a difference if you have all of these people who have COVID-19 and there's no outward evidence of it, that we're freaking out over a deadly disease that for many, many people never even comes to fruition in terms of actual symptoms? Absolutely. And it skews the data. The data is, makes no sense. And you saw the story a couple Oh, a couple of days ago, and my numbers could be off by a bit, but they're substantially accurate. 20,000 deaths, I believe, in New York City versus 300 in Tokyo. Now, how in the world could that data be accurate? Anybody who has any background in statistical analysis and looking at numbers has to ask this basic question. Who's lying? Yep. Somebody's lying about the data here because this makes no sense to have the most densely populated city in the world, Tokyo, at 300 deaths versus New York City, 
there's something wrong. They aren't coming counting the numbers properly. They're manipulating the data for public gain and for politics. Yeah. Well, and you look at how many of those deaths they've listed as COVID-19 deaths when the person died of something else. And, and there's a financial incentive, it's been reported, for these hospitals to characterize COVID-19 as the cause of death. There's a financial incentive for them because they get more money from the government. So uh, that's the problem. We're now in a position to say, we don't know who to believe anymore. We don't know who's telling the truth, who's doing it out of ideological perspective, and who's doing it out of the science. Where does that leave us when you talk about the fact that the church has largely been silent on the freedoms of churches to be able to gather and assemble in the worship of our God? What would you like to see happen from the pastors and the Christian leaders across this nation in standing up the way our forebears did? You know, you think of the uh, the Black Robe Regiment and people like that. What, what, what would you like to see right now as a big response from the church? Well, first of all, I would like to see our pastors stop using First Peter and, and Romans as proof texts to submit to government. Good. Yes, Paul and Peter did tell us to honor the government that a sovereign God has placed over us. But that does not mean that we bow at the altar of government and give away our freedom to worship as we see fit. The American system is a system that honors human dignity and human freedom as part of a, as a predicate to what it means to be a human being. So first and foremost, stop the proof texting. Use all of Scripture, the entire narrative. Acknowledge that Moses and Jephthah and Gideon and Deborah all were standing against the oppression of the human being. And we'd have to get rid of all those stories if you're supposed to always honor a despotic government that wants to put their thumb on you, put their foot on your neck and and oppress you. So let's get rid of that. Second, I really think we need to support those who are fighting for freedom. So when the restaurant opens up, support the restaurant. Don't condemn the restaurant owner. Next, stand with people like Jim Garlow, who has written a letter to Governor Newsom saying, we don't trust you anymore because of what you're doing right now. You've got to release the people to be free. Stand with the governor of of, uh, South Dakota. Support her in the way she's handled the situation. In other words, defend those people who have the spine and the backbone to fight this battle. Here, here. And some of these brave pastors of very small churches who are willing to go to the mat legally in order to defend their freedoms. Those guys are my heroes. I think they're doing a great job, as well as some of the other people you mentioned, Jim Garlow, for example. You know, another point, because I'm glad you brought this up about the exhausting proof texting and taking out of context sometimes Romans 13, passages like that. We the people run this nation. You know, a good civics class might be nice to have now and then among Christians again, because they forget the Constitution is our king. We the people run this nation. We elect our representatives. We're not in a king situation where what the king says goes anyway. I I think people have forgotten our own lineage and our own history as American people. I think that's one of the big tragedies that's also become evident. And thank you for mentioning that, because I was negligent in doing so. I was actually on a rant in my Facebook exchange, exchange on this whole issue of the pastors using uh, Romans 13 and First Peter as proof text to honor government. And I didn't even think to say what you just said. But one of my Facebook friends said, hey, wait a second here. We are honoring the government in the United States because in the United States, we, the people, are the government. Yep. That needs to be told, as you just did, over and over again to your listeners and to everybody, 
we don't have a king. We have a covenant, and the covenant is called our Constitution. And as Osgenis once taught me, if you want freedom, Everett, always vote for a covenant. Never vote for a hierarchy, mm. because hierarchies always oppress Covenants always bring freedom. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. We need to remember our history as Americans and stress those important American truths. If we're to stand on the Word of God at the same time, we got to get it right. Dr. Everett Piper, always a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. All right, blessings. Bye-bye. All right, you take care. God bless you. We'll be back right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. A federal judge has denied a temporary restraining order sought by an Illinois church called the Beloved Church, which called Governor Pritzker's extended stay-at-home order unconstitutional. That church has sued in federal court, arguing Pritzker's order violates the First Amendment's right to free religious practice. But according to CBS Chicago, that judge, John Lee, rejected the temporary restraining order and said it is constitutional because he noted the extended stay-at-home order allows for churches to hold drive-in services and online services and also in-person services for up to 10 people. In fact, Pritzker modified his original executive order after the church sued him. That's another story. But the fight in Illinois is not over. Not only did that church defy the order and meet over the weekend, but Northwest Bible Baptist Church in Elgin has informed Pritzker that it will resume services on May 17th, leading a coalition of nearly 50 churches from across the state who have plans to hold in-person services while implementing implementing very strict health and safety protocols. We're going to get some more details on all of this now from Jeremy Dice, who is Special Counsel for Litigation and Communications at First Liberty Institute. Jeremy, great to talk to you again. Always good to be with you, Janet. All right. What is going on in Illinois? I know we have some other churches that are involved in litigation. The church you're representing is wanting to hold services again starting May 17th. But what of these last few days, what's going on with Pritzker and how he modified his order and what's going on with his restraining order denial? Can you bring us up to speed a little bit on it all? I think what you're hearing in the country, and specifically there in Illinois, is that people are uh, getting out of their homes a, a little bit, and they're seeing that, hey, wait a minute, there are people at these stores, and they're somehow able to shop safely, and they're somehow able to have Lowe's open with uh, you know proper social distancing and cleaning and all that kind of thing. Why is it that churches can't do that? Are, we, are they somehow lesser than a retail business establishment of some sort? Well, I think the answer is an obvious no. And certainly uh, people can be just as safe at a church as they could be at a place of business. And so I think they're beginning to say, wait a minute, this doesn't add up here. If, if Lowe's and Walmart and other stores like it can have you know, 100, 200, 300 people in the store at a time, well, certainly we could do the same thing at a church, even if that means we have to wear a mask and separate by six feet and, and do all the things that would be expected of everyone trying to be safe in a time of 
of a little bit of question mark on, on, on health and safety issues. That should be just fine, but it seems as if our local officials there in Illinois, and starting with the governor on down, want to treat churches differently than Lowe's and Home Depot and Walmart. Yeah, it's kind of hard to maintain that when some of these states are allowing open liquor stores, and we're supposed to believe that's an essential service, but a church is not an essential service. That That's when it gets a little dicey. It does. And look, it's really, uh, we need to understand, again, as I think I've said on your program before, is we're living right now the left's vision for religious freedom, or what they call the freedom to worship. Stay in your home. uh, Worship your God over a virtual system. But by goodness, don't take it out into your place of business or your your place of employment. Don't take it to the schools, for goodness sakes, and certainly not into the military or the public square. Well, that's not the free exercise of religion that the Founding Fathers guaranteed us. And so you have churches saying, well, look, we're willing to submit and volunteer to say we'll stay home and, and keep things kind of at, at bay for a temporary period of time. But this doesn't feel temporary anymore. It's been eight weeks that we've been doing this in some cases. And, and there are certain things that you simply cannot do within a religious tradition virtually. Uh, for instance, I, I know that Presbyterians and Baptists will have a lot of debate about how much water ought to be used in the baptismal, but they'll both agree that you need to use water. <laughs> right. And you can't do that over the Internet. Yeah. Uh, at least they haven't invented a way to do that quite yet. So there's a need for us to have to meet in person for these services for, for religious bodies. And the more these elected officials say, well, no, you Christians need to stay over here because you're, gonna, you're a natural threat to the order of things right now, but Home Depot and Lowe's and Walmart are not, well, that doesn't pass the sniff test at all. The virus will attack people at Lowe's as much as they would at a church. So what's the big deal? Let us be able to reasonably take prudent measures to be able to reopen even our churches today. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about Northwest Bible Baptist Church and what they're wanting to do. Well, they want to have in-person services again, and they've been doing it virtually. They've been doing it online. In fact, they did an evening service last night online, and that's been okay, but they believe that it's their job and their responsibility to make the call as to when they meet in person and when they don't. It's not the government's responsibility to make that determination for them. That whole little clause called the free exercise of religion, it means something. And so if they were to voluntarily do it, that's one thing. But they said, look, we believe the time has come. And this isn't just some date they pulled out at random. We looked at the virology in Illinois, and we know that uh, there are zero projected deaths by May 17 in Illinois. So clearly the virus is passing, and the immediate threat of having to flatten the curve, that seems to be passing right now in Illinois. Uh, And they said, look, we're going to put a page and a half worth of reasonable safety precautions in order here. We're going to have signs up to say, wash your hands, multiple sanitation stations. People are going to wear a mask. They're going to stay six feet away from each other. We're going to seat them by uh, individual family groups and then two rows apart for everybody else. There's only so much you can do, even if you're in Walmart, to keep yourself clean. But for goodness sakes, my suspicion is that you will have a much more clean environment at a church service at Northwest Bible Baptist Church than you will at your local Walmart. It's okay for us to be able to have the freedom to make that determination right now. Yeah, you're totally right. I was curious for your legal opinion on what this judge had to say with this other Illinois church, because he cited two cases of Supreme Court precedent that have both held the freedom of religion does not include the right to expose the community to an outbreak of a contagious disease. Now, this is interesting because Annie McCarthy at National Review did a piece on this today talking about those two cases in 1905 and 1944. But he cited another case 
1993, where the Supreme Court said the principle that government in pursuit of legitimate interests cannot in a selective manner impose burdens only on conduct motivated by religious belief is essential to the protection of the rights guaranteed by the free exercise clause. So it appears that what he's saying here and what the court has said, you can't selectively burden somebody because they're religious in a situation like this. Do you think that that is an appropriate precedent to apply in this particular case? Andy, my good friend, is right on. He's right on. And that's exactly what's happening here right now. We're basically saying, look, because those blasted churches are religious, they can't meet. Because the only thing I can think of is that perhaps they think in the halls of government these Christians, these religious individuals, are backwards uh, yokels that don't know how to wash their hands and wear a mask. (laughs) And if that's actually the reality, then shame on them for thinking that, because the virus certainly is not discriminating like our elected officials are. The virus will attack you whether you are at church or employment or at at Lowe's or Walmart. And to say that Walmart and Lowe's can stay open and you can have 300 cars in the parking lot at a, at a Walmart, but you can't have more than 10 inside of a church in, in Elgin, Illinois, well, that's just, that's just ludicrous. Uh, and, and, and for them to treat them differently at this point, after the initial threat has passed, clearly has passed, yeah. it's beginning to wear not only on the American people, but on the very concept of freedom itself. So Andy's exactly right. They're, they're right now treating churches as if they're, that they are the contagion, that they need to be contained and quarantined, rather than allowing them to have that, that freedom guaranteed to them under the Constitution to freely exercise their faith. Well, and you've seen a number of states say that churches are not essential, and you've seen the modification of this order in Illinois. But would you argue in any respect that the order itself is arbitrary because of the 10-person thing? I mean, science isn't driving the 10-person number. That is a bit arbitrary, isn't it? It is a bit arbitrary. Look, and, and you have uh, exemptions for the news media, for instance. They can have more than 10 people at a, at a given event of theirs and certainly within their press room. Uh, it, again, it, it seems to be treating these churches as if they're the contagion that needs to be quarantined off from the rest of society rather than guaranteeing them what is uh, appropriate under the Constitution. Uh, look, I, I think Attorney General Bill Barr deserves a ton of credit. My suspicion is he's going to get involved here very soon because he believes what the Constitution says. And he's, he's reminded folks that the Constitution controls even in the middle of a pandemic. You cannot push it aside. The First Amendment has not handed in a sick note. The doctor has not said that it is on life support. Instead, the First Amendment is healthy and robust and protects even in the middle of a pandemic. And those who disagree need to go back and reread the Constitution to remind them where they derive their government. Good. Are you looking for Pritzker to rescind the order? What are you looking for in the immediate future? Well, we've given Governor Pritzker until this coming Friday, May 8th, to respond to anything we've put in our letter, but we've informed him that we intend, our client intends, along with about 50 other churches in Illinois, to resume in-person services with uh, safety measures that are more strict than what the CDC recommends. Uh, And if he's got any problem, it would be wise for him to tell us that sooner than later. Uh, I suppose he could send in the state uh, uh, police to bust up these church services, or perhaps the local sheriff would want to do that. Uh, They're welcome to do that, of course, but we will fully defend them, not only in criminal law, but assert every defense available to them under the Constitution and Illinois' Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Excellent. Very good. Jeremy, we got to go. Firstliberty.org. Check it out. Thank you, Jeremy Dice, for being here, and we'll be right back.
Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is creating funding difficulties for many of Preborn's clinics with canceled events which help fund the clinic operations. All the while this is happening, our clinics are seeing more and more women in unplanned pregnancies call us as sheltering in orders have generated more unplanned pregnancies. Our call center is flooded with girls calling. Can you help us in this time of increased need? Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To help a mom in need choose life, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call now. 855-402-BABY. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back. I was mentioning just a couple of minutes ago with Jeremy Dice, this piece in National Review, Justice Department intervenes against Northam's communal worship restrictions. Governor Ralph Northam of the Commonwealth of Virginia running afoul of everything. (laughs) Everything. This is the guy who's pro-infanticide, who got caught in blackface, never resigned, was the one who was threatening the Second Amendment. What what far-left thing can be done that Ralph Northam hasn't tried to do? So why is anybody surprised that, in fact, he's done insane things regarding churches? And Annie McCarthy's article actually is worth an entire read, but he talks about this church that we've mentioned on the show before. This is the church that is suing uh, Ralph Northam over his lockdown against communal worship, and it involves this church that had 16-person worship services on Palm Sunday, and it, it really is insane what's going on here. Um, this is just crazy. The Justice Department now has gotten behind this church, and rightly so. Attorney General Bill Barr has admonished states and municipalities that the DOJ stands ready to take action against social distancing edicts that unduly restrict fundamental constitutional rights. And the DOJ's civil division has been paying particular attention to restrictions on the freedom of religion, specifically heavy restrictions or outright bans on communal worship. And you already know know we've talked about some of these things in Illinois, for example. But, you know, in Virginia, it's really out of control. And you wonder what it is that is driving this kind of totalitarianism. 
I suppose it could just be a misguided approach to wanting to slow the spread and they've just gotten out of control in terms of how much they want to clamp down on people over it. But you even think about this that came out from Scott Atlas. He's the former chief of neuroradiology at Stanford. He was the one who just a few days ago said enough with the hypothetical models. It's time to reopen the U.S. economy. This guy's neuroradiology. Americans are now desperate for sensible policymakers who have the courage to ignore the panic and rely on facts, Atlas wrote. This is a piece in The Hill. Leaders must examine accumulated data to see what has actually happened rather than keep emphasizing hypothetical projections. Combine that empirical evidence with fundamental principles of biology established for decades and then thoughtfully restore the country to function. Now, as MarketWatch points out, since that article was published, Atlas has been bringing his message of ending lockdowns to all kinds of media outlets. He explained how the death rate in New York, where almost one third of all U.S. deaths have taken place, should not be a cause of panic for most people. He said more than 99 percent of those who have died had an underlying condition and that the rate of death for all people between the ages of 18 and 45 is 0.01 percent. And he wrote elsewhere, we know children and young adults in good health have almost no risk of any serious illness from COVID-19. So logic means opening most schools with sensible precautions and sanitization standards. Most workplaces and businesses should reopen. This would save lives, prevent overcrowding of hospitals, restore vital health care for everyone, and allow the socializing essential to generate immunity among those with little risk of serious consequences. So basically what he's saying is, can we have some common sense, please. Can we look at what we understand about the data? And we've been very much about trying to get the right data and present it to you on the show, because I think we should be driven by facts, not by fear, not by freak out, but by facts. And I'm the first to say from the very beginning, as I said with Dr. Piper just a few minutes ago, from the very beginning, I had said, well, we don't know much about this. So I'm fine with locking down for a little while. I don't want anybody to get coronavirus. And who knows what this virus can do? So let's be prudent. Let's make sure that we voluntarily stay home. And I didn't have a problem with it. But at a certain point, when you're looking at the data and the models that haven't worked, you have to reevaluate. And you've got to go in a direction that makes sense. That's what this guy is calling for. And yet, you've seen in about 10 states, Illinois now has walked back from that initial category. But 10 states have not declared churches essential. They've just completely shut down churches. And where is the science backing that up? If you can have tons of people going to Walmart, which I don't know about where you live, but the Walmarts near us, and granted, Texas has just reopened, so we're getting more and more people. Tons of people go to Walmart, and a lot of them don't wear masks. So how is that safe? And that's fine because we're all going to be shopping for groceries, but it's not fine for churches to get together with their congregations, even though all of them that have talked about reopening have talked about sanitizing, you know, having hand sanitizer and social distancing and wearing masks, you know, going the distance when it comes to separating people to slow the spread. All you can conclude from some of this is that it's ideologically driven. I don't know how you can can conclude anything else because there isn't any good reason to say, yeah, let's let's crack down on the churches. This is very interesting. I came across this as I was reading through some of the stuff related to the studies on the data. Now, this is a preprint study. A preprint study means that it has not 
been peer reviewed. You know, a lot of this research that is given credence has to be peer reviewed to really have any kind of clout. So I'm going to say that, you know, up front here, this is new medical research. It has yet to be evaluated. It shouldn't be used to guide clinical practice. But here it is. It's from MedRxIV.org, and it's on the suppression of COVID-19 outbreak in the municipality of Vo, Italy. This is a town in Italy. And you remember how much they were talking about Italy at first? Do you remember that? We haven't heard much about Italy lately. Have you noticed that? It was all Italy, Italy, Italy. No more Italy. Anyhow, this is what they say in this abstract. On the 21st of February, a resident of the municipality of Vaux died of pneumonia due to COVID infection. This was the first COVID-19 death detected in Italy since the emergence of SARS-CoV-2 in the Chinese city of Wuhan. In response, the regional authorities imposed the lockdown of the whole municipality for 14 days. We collected information on the demography, clinical presentation, hospitalization, contact network, and presence of COVID infection in these swabs for about 85.9% and 71.5% of the population of Vo at two consecutive time points. On the first survey, which was conducted around the time the town lockdown started, we found a prevalence of infection of 2.6%. On the second survey, which was conducted at the end of the lockdown, we found a prevalence of 1.2%. Now, this is interesting. They say notably 43.2% of the confirmed COVID infections detected across the two surveys were asymptomatic, 43.2%. So what does asymptomatic mean? You couldn't tell they were sick. They couldn't tell they were sick. They probably never would have known had they not been tested for coronavirus that they even had it. That's almost half the people. The mean serial interval was 6.9 days. We found no statistically significant difference in the viral load of symptomatic versus asymptomatic infections and contact tracing of the newly infected cases and transmission chain reconstruction revealed that most new infections in the second survey were infected in the community before the lockdown or from asymptomatic infections living in the same household. This study sheds new light on the frequency of asymptomatic COVID infection and their infectivity and provides new insights into its transmission dynamics, the duration of viral load detectability, and the efficacy of the implemented control measures. Again, this is not peer-reviewed, but isn't that interesting? So in other words, this Scott Atlas who's saying, forget the lockdown, has a point, not to mention which National Review has a piece With this title, Sweden bucked conventional wisdom and other countries are following no lockdown, no shuttered businesses or elementary schools, no stay at home and no disaster either. Spring is in the air and it is increasingly found in the confidence step of the people of Sweden with a death rate significantly lower than that of France, Spain, the UK and other EU countries. Swedes can enjoy the spring without panic or fears of reigniting a new epidemic as they go about their day in a largely normal fashion. Dr. Mike Ryan from the WHO says, I think if we are to reach a new normal, in many ways, Sweden represents a future model if we wish to get back to a society in which we don't have lockdowns. Oh, thanks for telling us now, Mike Ryan. I'm no fan of Mike Ryan, but come on. 
So we see this, and yet we have the northerns of the world. Oh, no, you can't get together for church. Oh, no, 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 it's non-essential. Who are you to declare that religious freedom is non-essential, pal? I'm not trying to be persnickety here, but I'm just trying to say these guys are drunk with power. And if we recognized as Americans and as Christians that our forebears, the original Americans, understood how bad tyranny is when you tolerate it and that it is important to fight back, then we recognize this is our day and our era for standing up for our liberties. Liberties don't stick around unless you fight for them. And sometimes you have moments where you really have the opportunity to stand for those freedoms. And I think now is such a time. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. We hope you'll tune in again. And thanks so much for joining us today. Take care.